0: amen amen good morning church as you're here today I actually found out the other day that I'm not old I have just been younger longer and uh, so I like that I uh, I like that a lot well if you have your copy of God's Word let's meet together in the book of Genesis can we do that the book of Genesis uh, chapter 1 and let me uh, just encourage those that are visiting today um, do not uh, do not judge Uh, Your uh, Desert Hills, or as Siri calls it, desert Hills, um, experience uh, on me today, okay? Um, You come back when Pastor Adam is preaching, and I know that that his preaching will be a tremendous help and a tremendous uh, blessing to you. I told the folks uh, in the uh, first service that every time I preach somewhere for the first time, reminds me of the couple, they were in their late 50s, early 60s. And um, the wife, she was just growing increasingly frustrated with her husband because he just wasn't as affectionate toward her as he once was. And so, you know, she she struggled with that. And uh, one Monday morning, she she gets up and she's just going through her normal routine. She goes into the kitchen, coffee, uh, walks by the counter and grabs her Bible takes her her Bible and her coffee and sits it down on the end table and before she sits in her chair to have her devotions she walks over to the big picture window and opens up the curtains and lo and behold she discovered this newlywed couple had moved in across the street and they were standing out there on the front porch in front of God and everybody I mean the common term would be making out I mean, they were just getting after it, kissing and hugging and carrying on like, well, like newlyweds. And uh, she stood there and she watched this for a few minutes and finally the young fella uh, left and and the young lady went back in the house. Tuesday morning she gets up and same routine, cup of coffee, grabs her Bible, puts them on the end table, uh, walks over and opens the curtains and these kids are at it again. I mean, carrying on like nobody's business. It's like, do you kids not understand? You got a, you got a house for that, you got a room for that. And they're just, they're just getting after it. And she stands there and watches and she just remembers the day, you know? She remembers back in the day. And she just frustrated and she sits down, has her devotions and Wednesday morning comes around, same thing, Thursday morning comes around, same thing. Like four days in a row, she's watching these kids. And she purposed in her heart on Thursday that if I open these curtains on Friday and those kids are on the front porch again, I'm making my husband come watch. Well, Friday morning rolls around. Sure enough, there they are. He comes meandering in there and she says, look at that. So he's standing there watching. Finally, she elbows him and said, why can't you do that? He looks at her and says, Honey, I don't even know the lady. (laughs) So you don't know me and I don't know you. So let me take just a minute to introduce myself, my family. I have been married to that beautiful female for 41 years. Last month we celebrated 41 years of marriage. And ministry together, she wasn't able to, to come today. She had some previous commitments there at home. Uh, but she is uh, she is the joy of my life. And she is an incredible wife and an even, even more awesome Grammy. And uh, we love her and just appreciate everything that she does for our family. God blessed us, as the pastor said, with three children. Our oldest, uh, his name is, is TJ, uh, Timothy James. And uh, unfortunately, he uh, was taken from us in a very freak accident uh, four years ago, February the sixth, two thousand and eighteen. Uh, he was working on his pickup in the driveway, and and we're uh, really not sure everything that happened there. But uh, tragically, lost his life and left behind his beautiful daughter Sheena and those precious three precious little girls. That's Mallory Page. Standing, and that's uh, Ellie Grace in her daddy's arms. And uh, at that point, uh, uh, (laughs) Mallory, Ellie Grace, or uh, Callie Mae, excuse me, Callie Mae was just a a few months old at that time. And, of course, they're older than that now. As you can imagine, uh, that day changed our lives forever. Um, Our family will never be the same um, but God's been good and uh, we're trying to get through what we'll never get over and uh, the Lord about a year after TJ uh, died the Lord gave me a message by that same title how to get through what you'll never get over and I've had the privilege of of sharing that message and sharing our story in many many churches across the country over the course of the last three years and um, it looks like uh, uh, a book by that title will be uh, ready for uh, sale uh, sometime in October. Thanks to the good folks at Striving Together Publications, they've put our story and sermon materials in a little mini book that we trust will be a real help and resource uh, for pastors and, and lay people uh, down the road. Our next oldest child was also a boy. His name's Tyler Kent. Uh, and Tyler. And his wife, Jenny Lee, and their son, Kevin, uh, have been at Fellowship Baptist for about 17 years now, 16 years, almost 17. And uh, spent 15 years uh, as a part of our ministry team. And then uh, it'll be two years this coming Tuesday. uh, I stepped out of the pulpit of Fellowship Baptist Church after 40 years. And uh, our son, Tyler, took over and as expected, they are just doing a phenomenal job uh, moving the ministry at home forward, and we're so thankful, so proud of what God is, is using them to do there in, in our community. And then our third child was uh, a girl. God blessed us with a girl. That's Tiffany Jean. That's her husband, Kelby, two years ago. Uh, he retired from Major League Baseball. Uh, he was with the San Francisco Giants organization. And played three, four years on the, the big league club. And just a man of God in his own right, loves the Lord, uh, loves his family, loves serving the Lord. Um, those are their two boys, Huck McCoy on the right, um, Leroy James on the left. And as you can see, she's got one in the oven there. And uh, he's, just about, he's just about done. November, he will be born. His name is is uh, Turner Rex. So we're going to have our own T-Rex uh, in the family. And so that's the family that God has, has blessed us with. And, and uh, we're, we're thankful that they are all uh, serving the Lord and, and all in church. And um, it's just been a really, uh, we, we sometimes we feel like God's pets. He's just been so, so incredibly good to us. And I thank the pastor already this morning for letting me stand in his pulpit. I don't take that lightly, especially having been out three weeks already for him to sit there and have to listen to a guy twice on Sunday um, while well, he's just chomping at the bit to preach. I get that, but I'm thankful that he's let me be here. And I'm thankful that he sees the need to, to give a month of Sundays to the the subject of, of home and family and marriage. In his book, The Fulfilled Family, John MacArthur wrote this, said, we may be watching the death of the germ cell of all civilization, the family. Signs of the family's demise are abundantly clear all around us. Numerous facts confirm the grim prognosis. There's almost no need to cite statistics For the past 40 years or more, the signs of the family's collapse have been paraded before us continually. And then he lists a number of things, divorce, the sexual revolution, abortion, sterilization, delinquency, infidelity, homosexuality, radical feminism, the children's rights movement. Together with the normalization of the single parent home. The decline of the nuclear family and other similar signs. And then he writes this, it's very, very sobering. He said, We have been watching the braiding of an intricate rope that will ultimately strangle the family to death. The nuclear family, which has been the fabric, is falling apart, and the effect on our culture is felt everywhere and I would submit to you this morning that if the family doesn't survive and even thrive the demise of our society itself cannot be far behind because as the family goes so society goes with all of that as a background I want us to take a look this morning at the first family. And as we do, we're going we're to consider three things this morning. Number one, what they had. Number two, what they did. And number three, what happened. So if you have your copy of God's Word, look at verse 27 of chapter 1. And we see the first thing they had was God's image. Look at it, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Listen, mankind is not merely the, the, the top rung in the animal kingdom. We are, we are different than animals, though sometimes we don't act like it. We are the, listen, we are the crown jewel of God's creation. We have been given the ability to reason and to choose between right and wrong and to worship the God who made us. Not only do we have God's image as Adam and Eve did, but Adam and Eve also had a good job. Look at verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth and then look at verse 19 of uh, chapter 2 and out of the ground the Lord God Formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them and whatsoever Adam called every living creature that was the name thereof so between these two verses we see that uh, that man's job was threefold it was to populate be fruitful and multiply it was to regulate they were to have dominion and number three, to separate, to divide the animals by name. So when it came to, to the first family, they, 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 had, a, they had God's image and, and they had a good job. But continue to read in verse 29, they had some great perks. Look at it. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be given for meat. And to every beast of the field, or excuse me, of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. So the first family had everything, and it was perfect. But as we'll see, they still had problems. Can I just say right here this morning that to try and and blame our personal and or family failures on our environment is an absolute no-go with God. Listen, neither my wife nor I were raised in a Christian home. People are like, oh, you're a preacher, you're in the ministry, your dad must have been a preacher, your, your granddad must have been a preacher. No, my dad was a drunk. And my mom was a drunk. And my wife's two dads were drunks. And my wife's mom was a drunk. And we grew up in homes and in families where there was nothing but yelling. And screaming and bickering and arguing and fighting. So listen, you don't have to tell me today about about home life. I get it. I'm with you. I'm there. But but here's here's the deal. Katie and I, just like everybody else in here this morning, we got to make our own choices. We got to choose our own path and that's that's the same truth for you this morning you get to make your own choice you get to choose your own path granted it it may have been bad at home but i'm telling you this morning that you can have a home and 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 you can raise your family in a different environment if you choose to so here here's the here's the hard truth this morning Our environment is not the problem we are the problem we don't like to hear that but it's true our failures are more about what's in us than what's around us Adam and Eve had God's image had a good job had great perks they had given boundaries Chapter 2 and verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. How many would agree with me this morning that the boundaries were very clear? Right? Unmistakably clear. This is all yours. Except for that tree. You can eat anything here that you want to eat. You can enjoy anything here that you want to enjoy. But do not eat of that tree tree or else. And everything went great for the first family until they decided to step outside the boundaries that God had established. A lot of homes and marriages today are in a mess because husbands and or wives and or children And or in-laws have deliberately chosen to ignore the boundaries. And just like Adam and Eve, they're now suffering the consequences for it. But it doesn't have to be that way. So what do we have? We have God's image. We have a good job. We have great perks. We have given boundaries. And then one other thing real quick, very important. They had the gift of each other. Look look in verse 18 of of chapter 2. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. So again, the first family had it all. And it it was perfect. And you think about that this morning, and you wonder how in the world, Brother Prater, brother how could they have possibly messed that up? I'll tell you how they messed it up. They messed it up the same way we mess it up. They made some very wrong choices. So let's, let's consider what they did which more accurately stated is is what they didn't do. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. The first thing they didn't do was they did not flee temptation. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Listen, when Satan came to Eve and started questioning what God had said, she should have removed herself as far away from his temptation and lies as she could. But she didn't. Let me ask you this morning, what do you do when someone, whether it's some carnal Christian or some unsafe family member or some unbelieving person in the workplace comes to you and starts questioning God's word about the marriage and about home and about the family what do you do when the devil starts speaking through them about how you should just do what you want to do Or how you should just walk away from it all or or how you deserve to be happy and if your current situation isn't making you happy then you should find yourself a different situation whatever that means what do you do when your in-laws or other family members start questioning the way you raise your children when, when you're raising them according to God's word, or they start talking bad about your church, or start making fun of, of your efforts to live according to, to biblical principles, what do you do when that happens? Because in all honesty, that's no different than what happened to Eve in the garden. i tell you what you should do. You should let them know that you're not really interested in their opinion if it's contrary to what you know to be right according to the Word of God. Some families are in a mess today because the, the wife has been listening to the ladies in the office or, or the husband has been listening to the guys in the shop and, or they've been listening to an unbelieving relative that, that's questioning the Word of God. Now, I understand that there are times when you find yourselves in in settings and in situations when when you, you can't just walk away. And when that happens, we must then stand and fight for the truth, which is something neither Adam nor Eve did. They chose not to fight for the truth. Verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. You see what the devil did there? He directly contradicted the word of God. And Adam and Eve did nothing to defend the truth. When God's word is being contradicted and someone is trying to, to move you to a position opposite the truth, that's when you kindly but sternly take a stand for what you know is right, according the Word of God. We okay? So the first family chose not to flee temptation. They chose not to fight for the truth. And then we see that they chose not to focus on the best. Look at verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God. Knowing good and evil. Satan is questioning the character of God. In essence, he's accusing God of holding out on on Adam and Eve. He's accusing God of, of being insecure in who he is and afraid that Adam and Eve may become his equals. Now tell me this morning, how outrageous is that? But then again, what would you expect from a liar like Satan? Look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now think about this. Adam and Eve are standing in the midst of a million acre fruit and vegetable garden. Now, they can have the veggies. I'll take the fruit. But they're in the midst of a fruit and vegetable garden, and it's all perfect. Yet Satan got them to look at what they didn't have instead of looking at what they did have. And isn't that the problem in so many of our homes today? People aren't satisfied with what they have. They aren't satisfied with their wife. They aren't satisfied with their husband. They aren't satisfied with their parents or whoever. And so Satan comes along and he whispers in their ear and he convinces them that there's something better or someone better somewhere else. God, forgive us for being dissatisfied with what we have and thinking that happiness is found somewhere outside the boundaries would you please listen to me this morning the only thing to be found outside the boundaries of the Word of God is heartache and heartbreak I'm telling you from 40 years of dealing with with marriages there's only those two things to be found outside of the boundaries of the Word of God heartache And heartbreak. I know what your buddies are telling you. I know what your girlfriends are telling you. I know what they're gonna talk about tomorrow in the office how great the weekend was, and how awesome the party was, and how wonderful this was, and how wonderful that was. But you listen to me this morning, deep inside when they pillow their head at night, you know why they keep going back to that? Because it doesn't satisfy. Come on. There's no peace there. You know where the peace is? It's in a right relationship with, with God through his son Jesus Christ. Peace is found in a, in a right relationship with Jesus. And you're going to hear all kind of stuff tomorrow. And the devil's going to whisper in your ear. You got to listen to them. You got to check that out. Yeah, take a look at that. You listened to me this morning, this old fat, bald-headed preacher. I'm telling you, that's a lie. That's a lie. Because there is no happiness living out of bounds, living in disobedience to God. Now granted, as you sit here today, your home may not be everything it should be. may not be everything it could be. But I'm telling you, the happiness you're looking for is not found outside the boundaries. The first family chose not to flee temptation or to fight for the truth or to focus on the best. Listen, and it cost them. It cost them. Let me show you what happened. The first thing, there was shame. When Adam and Eve chose to step out of bounds, There was shame. Look at verse 7 or verse 6 again. The woman looked at the food. It was good. She took it. She gave it to her husband. And look at verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Adam and Eve were ashamed of what they had done. And they tried to cover it up. That's what happens when we choose to live life outside of our God-given boundaries. We end up ashamed. And when we're ashamed, we try to cover it up. Some try to cover family shame by acting like everything's okay when it's not. Others cover it by their silence, thinking that if they, they just don't ever talk to anybody about their home life, no one will know the shame that they have to endure every day. If they just don't say anything, no one's going to know that how they talk to one another at home. If they just don't say anything, if they try to hide it, nobody's going to know about the abuse that is suffered. No one will know the degree of dysfunction that exists behind the four walls of their house. They don't want anyone to know. And they don't even like to think about it themselves because it hurts too much to think about how good it could be. But it's not. Verse 8, Adam and Eve tried to hide from God. You know, I, I picture like, like, you know, our, our grandchildren. You know, uh, you can't see me. <laughs> so Adam and Eve, they're over there. They're, they're trying to hide from God for crying out loud. Look at verse 9. And the Lord called unto Adam and said, where art thou? Now, understand this morning, God didn't ask this question because he didn't know where they were. He did. He asked it. Because he wanted them to realize where they were. He wanted them to realize we're out of bounds. We crossed the line. And this is where our sinful choice has taken us. He wanted them to see that they could have had better, they did have better. But they chose something different. So the first consequence of bad choices is shame. And then in verse 11, we see that there's blame. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Now, just like the first question that God asked, he knew the answer to this one too. God knew that they had disobeyed. But he wanted Adam to acknowledge What he had done in disobeying him. He wanted Adam to to be able to own up to his own bad choices, be able to speak the truth about how it really was. But instead, what does Adam do? Well, look at it in verse 12. And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest me to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. So Adam blamed the woman. So God looks at the woman. And he says, What is this that thou hast done? Verse 13. Okay, notice, notice here that the accountability is, is was separate. Don't miss this. Please, don't miss this. The accountability was separate husbands listen guys you're not accountable for the way your wife acts she is and wives the same goes for you ladies you 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 can't change your husband you can only change you and husbands can't change their wives. And the reason there is so much dysfunction in some homes is because husbands and wives are trying to change what they don't like in their spouse when they need to be changing what's not right in them and let God be responsible for changing their other half. Amen. God goes on in verses 14 through 19, and he elaborates on the consequences of Adam and Eve's poor choices. Let me just real quickly give you four principles that lead to healthy homes. Number one, never. Everybody say never. Never, 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 never question God's Word. Never. That is the first step down a road that will lead you nowhere good. Don't ever question God's word. Number two, if you sin, own it. Own it and repent. Don't don't try to pass the buck. Own up to your sin and then go and make it right with whoever you've sinned against. Number three, failure looks bad in us. But believe me, it looks worse in our children. Parents are sadly mistaken if they think their dysfunctional relationship is not going to adversely affect their children. Now listen to me. I'm just speaking from from a very um, I'm speaking from experience that I wish I couldn't. I promise you that there will come a day when your son or your daughter, in their role as a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad, you're going to see them do something. Or you're going to hear them say something that's going to make you cringe. I'm telling you, it's going to send shivers up your spine. And you're going to be like, oh. And then God's going to stick a dagger in your heart. And he's going to remind you where they learned that. Some of you more mature folks in here. And a sense of conviction is going to come over you. Because you know where they learned that. You know where they got that. That's what they saw modeled at home. Mom and dad, listen. The time to start working on your relationship is right now. Don't, well, kids get older, we'll do better. You better start doing better right now because you'll be surprised at what toddlers pick up. And one day, little junior's gonna talk back to his mama or say something to his mama in a way that you're gonna go over there and you're gonna do what you're gonna do. And he said, where in the world do you get that? And your wife is as much love as she can muster I say something like this. That's how you talk to me. Say, so how do you know that? None of your business. <laughs> I picked it up in counseling. <laughs> no, that's not true. I've been there. I've done that. What I'm telling you right now is true. Am I right? You 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 more mature folks in here this morning. Am I right? Yes, sir. Failure looks bad in us, but it looks looks worse in our kids. Let me end on a good note. Only with Christ can we win over sin. In verse 14, God pronounces a curse on the devil. But I want you to look at verse 15. And I, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Verse 15 is the first prophecy in all of the scripture regarding Christ. And it is a prophecy that points to his ultimate defeat of the devil. So listen to me this morning. All is not lost. All is not lost. Because in Christ, all of the effects of the fall, I'm talking all the the anger and the tendencies to nag and the rebellion and the lust and the hurtful words, listen, all of that was crushed in Christ. And in Christ, we can do better. In Christ, we can win the victory. So my question this morning is this, are you in Christ? Are you saved? Do you have a relationship with Jesus, with with, with God through His Son, Jesus Christ? And then number two, let me ask you this. You may be in relationship with Him this morning, but are you in fellowship with Him? Thank God our, our relationship can never be broken. We're eternally saved. But sometimes our fellowship can get messed up. And I'll say this without any fear of contradiction this morning. When there's a problem in the home, someone is not right with God. That is, they're not in fellowship with God. They're not walking in His Word. They're not walking in the Spirit. They're they're living in the flesh. And when we live in the flesh, there's some ugly stuff that happens so when when things are bad at home someone is not right with God let's stand together every head bowed and every eye closed I'd encourage you today to respond in one of three ways number one if you're not saved man we'd love to see you receive Christ as your Savior there'll be some folks out in the foyer today and, and they would love to talk with you more about beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ Number two, if if you are in a relationship with him, but you're not in fellowship with him, I hope you'll take care of that this morning. I hope you'll get alone with the Lord sometime and say, God, I'm out of bounds. I know that. And it's affecting my marriage. It's affecting my parenting. Maybe you're a teenager here this morning. You're out of bounds. And it's, it's impacting your relationship with mom and dad. Hey, get that right. Get that right. But then no doubt there are some homes in here right now that are hitting on all cylinders. It's awesome. It's like heaven on earth. If that's you this morning, and no doubt there are some, would you just grab your spouse's hand right now where you're at, just lean over and just pray a quick word of prayer. Say, God, thank you for giving us what we have. God, help us to never take it for granted. God, help us to always love you and love one another. And when the devil comes to tempt us, God, give us the courage, give us the strength to say no. Heavenly Father, I love you today. I thank you for the opportunity to share my heart with these good folks. God, I pray that they'd take your word and that they would make good application of it to their own life. God, we're living in a world right now where Man, we need good homes, we need good families, we need good marriages. Lord, we need help raising a godly generation, because they've got so much fighting against them right now. So Lord, I pray for this dear pastor and his staff and the other leaders in the church, that you would help them in in the coming weeks and months and years to just blaze a path of righteousness and holiness and godliness. And God, I pray that your spirit would help us today in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: This morning. Say, so you know what, there's some there's some, there's some stuff in my family, there's some stuff he was talking about this morning. And uh, we want to take care of that. I want to let you know after the service um, or even, you know, anytime during the next couple of minutes, right here to our left is one of our dear uh, deacons, and he would love to talk with you about any decisions you're making. And then second thing, if you're you're here this morning, you say, you know, I don't know that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know that... I'm going to spend eternity with him one day. Uh, We would love to talk with you about that and give you some information and share the gospel with you and let you know how you can know as you leave this place this morning, 100% sure that you have a place in eternity with Jesus Christ this morning. And you can talk to one of our deacons over here as well for that. Let's have a seat. We're going to pray one more time, and they're going to move into this time of uh, question and answer. God, thank you so much for uh, what you've done in our hearts this morning and what you're going to do. I pray that you'd be with every part of this service, and uh, thank you so much for what we heard. pray that you would allow us to have some good conversation here in the next couple of minutes. And uh, thank you so much for um, this sermon series, how it's spoken to our, our hearts over the past four weeks, and uh, Lord, pray that you'd be with us now, in Jesus' name, amen.
2: Hey church, we're excited to put a firm foundation with the Q&A conversation, including our guest, Pastor Bill Prater, Pastor Adam, and his wife Elizabeth. Over the past few weeks, many of you have submitted questions, and they're going to be diving into those questions with practical insights from a biblical perspective. So sit back, grab your notebooks, and let's chat for a few minutes about how we can strengthen our families.
1: And I just want to say uh, right off the bat here, if uh, you have to uh, leave the service to go pick up your kids and uh, you got to head out, you got to go to Cracker Barrel, go get lunch or you have some reservation, feel free to do that. But we're going to move right into um, our Q&A time. And uh, we are honored to have Pastor Bill Prater with us this morning and uh, Pastor Adam and his wife, Elizabeth. And uh, thank you so much for uh, submitting questions over the past couple of weeks I uh, really appreciate that, and uh, we're looking forward to some good conversation uh, this morning. Okay, we'll just we're going to jump right in. And uh, this one, uh, what do you do if you disagree with your spouse about how to discipline your
2: children? This is geared for us, and again, thank you for everybody that can stay. Um, some of you may not have the opportunity to do this, but before we got married, we try to discuss how we would discipline our children and what we would do in the discipline of the children. Um, You know, sometimes I feel like I'm good cop, she's bad cop, or sometimes it's like she's good cop and I'm bad cop. But if you, you all know what your law is, if you will, what you are going to discipline them for and how you're going to discipline, then there's generally a little bit of, it's a little easier to deal with those things. So that's one thing I would say. And then what would you say, babe?
3: Yeah, that's the first thing that I thought of as well. If you're blessed before you're married to sit down with a marriage counselor and kind of talk through some things, right? They have years of experience under their belt, they're professionals in doing that. They can really kind of help guide you to, um, to miss some of those landmines that you might hit, and having children is one of them. Um, So I definitely thought that. Know ahead of time, and if you already have children and maybe you're struggling with this, maybe take some time this week and kind of talk about, you know, when situation A happens or our kids do this, this is the type of steps that we'll take because there certainly is a difference between um, discipline and punishment, right? There certainly is. And so kind of know what you both have in mind. I know that's difficult with blended families. It's hard, you know. while we don't have a blended family i come from a blended family and i know that with step parents right that can really be an icy conversation and it can really build some frustrations um so definitely knowing ahead of time what you would do in certain situations helps and i don't think you know i think maybe with that question we would automatically think of towards young ones But we're still parenting our whole lives, right? I'm sure that you would imagine that now that your children are older, they still come to you for things. And it's important maybe to be on the same page, even though our responsibilities lessen, we do still parent our whole lives. And, um, you know, I, I know with my dad and stepmom, there was a frustration that came where, there was a, ch- a child that wanted to be dependent upon them financially and it really came to be a bone of contention and they had to, even though they're much older, they had to have a you know, one-on-one of where they were going to stand together on that.
2: I think a key thing in what she said is you wanna get on the same page. You know what I mean? You want to both be there and there are, it takes conversations to get to that place. Whether you didn't have the conversation before, you decided to have children and now you have to reset and figure out what you're gonna do and then your discipline is gonna be different for your teenagers than probably your small children yeah. and how you're gonna handle those things I mean you just you know if you uh, however you choose to discipline when they get to the teenage age they're you know them standing in a corner on a timeout is probably gonna be a little different than yeah, that, when they were young you know what I mean enough. and so um, it's just different anything you want to add
0: and I would I would I would say, you know, avoid extremes. You say, well, you know, my, my parents did this, so I'm never gonna do that. Um, the Bible the Bible sets some good principles for discipline in the home. And just stick with the Bible. Don't 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 go to one end of the spectrum or the other. Well my parents never never disciplined me, so I'm gonna discipline always on me, so I'm just not gonna don't go to those extremes. Uh, but, but you're all right. You've got to be on the same page.
3: Can I add one more yeah. thing to that? So we, even this week, we had something in our family that we had to deal with. And I shared with my husband, this is really how I would prefer for it to be handled with. Yet at the end of the day, I trust whatever you say. I'm going to 100% back you. You know, that child will never know that I have a different of a p- opinion. If we do, right, as we got more into the conversation, that child will never know that... You know, I wish we would have chosen option A instead of B, Um, and and honestly, as a wife, um, he's the one that has to answer to the Lord more than me that way. (laughs) 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 Sorry, Um, bro.
1: (laughs) Awesome. So we want to fast forward a little bit, Pastor Bill, and this one's for you. Uh, This person asked, how do I get my grandkids and their parents back into church?
0: I don't want this to sound rude. Okay, but again, I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience that our son who, who, uh, who died, he got off the rails on us for a couple of years. And so we've been down that road of, of a prodigal. And, and, and again, I don't want this to sound rude, but you are not going to get them back in church. Does that make sense? You will not do it. You can't argue them back. You can't preach them back. You can't shame them back. You can't manipulate them back. You can't bribe them back. Here's the truth about a prodigal. They'll be back when they wanna be back. Bottom line, they made the choice to walk away. They will make the choice to come back. That, that's, just, that's just true. Sometimes parents and grandparents, well-meaning, can push so hard. Every conversation about Jesus, every conversation is about church, every conversation about you reading your Bible, every conversation, listen, not every interaction has to be spiritual in nature. They need to understand that you love them for who they are, not for what they do. Mm.
2: That's good.
0: You love them for who they are. You're my child. I love you unconditionally. I don't agree with this, whatever. But listen, you, if, if every barbecue you have, every birthday party you have, ends up you're hounding them about God and church, it's just you're, doing, you're not doing any good. Here's what my wife and I decided with TJ. We were going to spend more time talking to God about Him than we were talking to Him about God,
2: hmm.
0: and and that changed it all. Hmm. Be patient and pray, pray, pray.
1: Anything to add? Okay. Um, next question for um, extended family members, and I think this is pertinent, probably to most parents, but. How do you help a spouse who struggles to set boundaries with other extended family members, i.e. mother, mother mother-in-law, father, father father-in-law? How do you deal with that?
0: Hey, happy wife, happy life, bro. That's uh... (laughs) a... Good
1: answer, good answer.
0: (laughs) No, at some point, at some point, you're gonna have to sit down and have the hard conversation. And I would approach it from two angles. Number one, I would approach it from the biblical perspective of the principle of priority that God set out in Genesis chapter two, um, the leave and cleave principle. And by the way, um, a lady told uh, her son-in-law in in a situation just like this that I was privy to, she said, well, God said that to the man, not the woman. (laughs) okay time out God's talking about the man and the woman leaving and cleaving listen that doesn't mean that, that you don't love your parents it doesn't mean that you don't respect them but listen when you said I do immediately everybody else in your life was relegated to a lower priority They're still important, but they're not as important as they once were. Now your priority is your husband or your wife. And then during that same conversation, I would would approach it from a practical perspective. This is how it makes me feel. I feel like I'm a fifth wheel. I feel like I'm unwanted. I feel like I'm, I'm not appreciated. I don't feel like I'm important in your life. I feel like I'm second or third or fourth in your life when I want to be, be number one in your life because you're number one in my life. And it's a hard conversation, it is, but it's a conversation that you just got to be honest and open about where you're at on this.
2: I would say in our marriage it's been good to live thousands of miles away. <laughs>
1: This is good. This is good. Uh, and, and also,
0: you may, you may have to have the uncomfortable conversation with that extended family member. says, we love you, but right now, this is not good for our marriage. This is, this is not helping our marriage. And no parent wants to hear that. No parent wants to hear a child, and however they say it, say, but out. But again, when, when you got married, you became one with your spouse, and you may have to have that difficult conversation with, with the extended family member. It's gonna be ugly, it's gonna get nasty, but you're defending your family. You're fighting for your family, which is most important.
2: I could give an example. My mom for a period of time had to come stay with us for whatever reason and she was with us for a few months and she began to view her role differently than um, she interjected herself into our our relationship. She didn't mean to. Uh, I had a birthday coming up and my wife said I want to make this type of cake so then my mom's making that type of cake. Um, my wife said she wanted to prepare whatever meal so then my mom's preparing that meal and my mom was honestly trying to help but there was never conversation between my mom and my wife and so it didn't make Elizabeth feel good um, my mom was just trying to be a help but I had a conversation with her and and, it, and it, it it what it didn't wasn't ugly or anything like that but it just helped her to understand something she didn't understand and sometimes a lot of these things a good conversation and understanding on both sides where both people are interjecting is what needs to take place and and that that took place and and really i mean we we have lived a ways from both of our parents and our families but really we don't have a lot of those problems when our kids were small and our parents my dad would want to do things with our daughters we just kind of told our dad how we did our family because he had been away from them, and, and he was respectful in all the things that we, we had for our family. And so those are those conversations that you need to have. And I think they set the tone. If you can have them ahead of time, great. Sometimes you just need to, in the middle of it, just need to have it. So I think that's good. Um,
1: so we're, we're running out of time. I, Pastor Bill, I want, want to ask you one more question. I think it's pertinent to your life experiences. As a parent, you assume to outlive your kids. Um, so if there's ever a situation where you lose a child, uh, it's devastating. What are, say, three truths or encouragements to lean on as a parent who's lost a child?
0: Well, I, I would say right off the bat what I shared with a, a dear lady after the first service this morning. Uh, it was shared with me from a pastor friend who had uh, lost a grandson, and shortly after T.J.'s death, just a couple of days. Brother Dean Herring reached out to me, and uh, he said, Bill, I, I, just, I just want you to know, number one, you don't have to get over it. Number two, you can't get over it. And number three, God doesn't require you to get over it. What I, what I tell folks is that you get over breaks and sprains. You don't get over amputations. When you lose a child or a husband or a wife, that's an amputation. If I I lost my leg below the knee, I may eventually get through that and I'll learn to live with that. But I'll never get over it because I'll wake up every morning and see the nub. I don't think Paul ever got over his thorn in the flesh. We don't see anywhere in the Bible where God removed that thorn, but he did learn to get through it and he learned to push on and he learned to rely on on God's strength. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing that, that Katie and I have really been intentional about is learn to focus or don't get so consumed with what you lost and forget what you have left. You see, Katie and I have two other kids and their grandkids who need Grammy and Papa. Tyler and Tiffany still need a mom and dad. And the last thing that we want to ever happen is for them to resent the death of their brother because it, it stole their mom and dad. And then I, I would say this, with the Lord's help, you can get through it, you can. And, and it's, it's different for everybody. Preacher, I never really understood, well, how could that family be torn apart when, a, when <laughs> it when been just tragedy? Man, you think it would bring them closer together. Now I see it, now I understand. Thank God we haven't had that problem in our family, but I'm telling you, I can see where those rifts come. Well, dude, you just need to get over it. No, you don't understand. You know, my wife had a nine-month connection with our son that nobody else had. Her grief is different than my grief as a dad. Our grief as parents is different than, our, than, than Tyler and Tiffany's grief as, as siblings. But I'm telling you, with God's help, you can get through it.
1: Thank you for, for that. Um, I think we're about out of time. I think we can end on that note. And uh, thank you guys so much for sticking around. And uh, how about we just give them uh, a moment to head out so they can get to the lobby if you guys want to chat with them. Let's give them a round of applause taking their time for us.